It's a great opportunity to be here to share with you something, brother, and I hope will be very helpful to us. Let's begin by turning over to Matthew chapter 18 uh, to get started. We're going to look at a section where Christ is talking about uh, lost sheep. And actually, and to begin the chapter, he was talking about uh, who they were talking about, who was the greatest in the kingdom. Christ takes a little child and he goes on to describe various things. But then we drop down to verse 12. Matthew 18. Verse 12, which says, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety nine and go to the mountains to seek the one, the one that is straying? And if he should find it, or surely I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. But brother, I wanted to read that to get started. I recently had information passed on to me regarding a certain issue that I was really concerned about. Uh, and therefore, I decided to look into the issue um, that I may gain a better understanding. Now, every once in a while, if my voice tend to break, it's because during the feast, I actually lost my voice, and he told me it would take about two weeks. So if you hear a little crack, um, you'll, you'll, you'll know what's going on if, if I sound a little funny. So let me just take a little drink of water. But I, I really wanted to look at this issue because it was beginning to affect some of God's people. And I, I think about Matthew 24 and verse 5 in regards to this. As Jesus stated, you don't have to turn there, but <clears throat> in Matthew 24, 5, we realize that Christ talked about the fact that uh, many would come in his name. He, he's discussing pretty much religious confusion and deception that would take place basically at the end of the age. And I had a deep concern about what I was, uh, what, what was told to me. And um, I, I, I wanted to make sure I address it. <clears throat> so we have to recognize this about what Christ mentions in Matthew 24, because we're living in those days where religious confusion and deception is spreading very wide. Turn over to Galatians. Let's notice something Paul writes in regards to this as well. Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> because Paul addresses an issue that was happening in his time. <clears throat> Galatians 1 and verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You know, not more than about 20 years or so, give or take maybe, uh, so quickly people were turning to a different gospel in those days. So Paul addressed it in verse 7, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you. There are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So I want to share with you, first of all, some of the comments that came to me and caught my attention. Quote, it says, Mr. Stroud is not telling you everything. I kind of took a little offense to that. And, and, and once you know what I'm talking about, you'll, you'll understand. 
Then another comment came by text message from one of our members who received um, questions from this individual happened to attend one of our Tomorrow's World presentations in in, um, Alabama. And this is what they stated. It says, how much of the British Israel doctrine is taught in LCG? And do you agree? Especially in light of us as African-Americans probably being the original Hebrews. And then that statement was followed with this. Not that either makes a difference. And I thought, that is very unusual. You ask a question like that. It went on to say this. Why does LCG refuse to use the divine name of God, Jehovah or Jehovah, which is in the Hebrew scriptures almost 7,000 times? I went, wow. And like I said, since my name was brought up and used in a way, I, I really thought it would be good to look into this issue because there are some things that are happening uh, in different congregations. And I found out during the feast and in other congregations and then even places in other parts of the world. Now, I'm going to throw this in about this names doctrine that has come up because I really wanted to find out what is this all about? Where did it have its beginning? And if the sources, the sources are correct, it mentions this. It says, Yahshua is one proposed transliteration of the original Hebrew or Aramaic name Yeshua, meaning Joshua Jesus. It says the English spelling of Yahshua originates as least as early as 1950 with Anglo or Angelo trainers, I think is how it's pronounced. The New Testament of our Messiah and Savior, Yahshua. And so we're talking about something that may have had a beginning. If the source is correct or accurate, that it may have had a beginning in the 1950s with this names thing. And this is a big thing uh, among people. We, My wife and I have run into it so often. It comes up. It came up in one of our Tomorrow's World presentations uh, which was a little hilarious because the individual, I had one of the books that an individual wrote, uh, and they were there. I didn't know that. And we were discussing things, and he asked questions. And I referred to the book, and I said, well, you know, the guy that wrote this book have no knowledge of what they're doing. <laughs> and he looked me in the eye and said, well, I wrote the book. <laughs> now, you want to talk about a moment. <laughs> Took everything in my power not to laugh. But um, the report goes on to say Jehovah or Yahweh in the Bible is a modern mispronunciation of the Hebrew name resulting from combining the consonants. And it goes on about that. What I was interested in is the fact that it appears it had a beginning somewhere around 1950 that some individual. Let let me read another part of because it goes on to say this. It says uh, resulting from combining the consonants with the vowels of the word Adonai. Lord, which the Jews themselves substituted for the proper name in reading the scriptures. All of this came about with Jews who somehow decided to do, to come up with some ways uh, of pronouncing God's name. And I know many of you, if you go on the Internet, which, uh, to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of. Uh, I know I have to use it, <laughs> but and I'm going to show you why. But um, you can see some will spell God. They'll go G, no O, and then the D. And I think, really? Come on, who who doesn't know what you're saying? So that's one of the things. I I wanted to throw that in about the Hebrew names because one of the things that I found out, that 
pops up in a lot of religion today, uh, even some that we may not be aware of. Um, to, to my and others' disappointment, brethren, we have seen some of our black brethren uh, leave the church being drawn away, especially regarding the black Israelism matter. And, yes, I did become concerned about it because I've seen two beautiful young families walk away. And there have been others that have walked away as a result of this doctrine. So I wanted to figure it out. Where did this, did this all start? I really wanted to look into it. And since I was accused of not telling, and I know what it was in reference to, but since I was accused of not telling brethren everything, and I, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to look into it. And I'm going to investigate it. And I talked with headquarters about it uh, because I had a concern. I, I really do because uh, when I see brethren leave or people leave God's church, I'm deeply concerned. And when I saw that, that really, uh, it just, I just wanted to find out what is this all about. So the thing that I did was I had to figure out, first of all, what was the black Israelism beginning? Where did it start? Where did it all come from? And then second, I needed a little history of what was shared long ago in regard to the black race as most importantly the biblical truth. And I want to say this too, brethren, about this, uh, the black Israelism, Jew, black Jew, and uh, black Hebrewism. Uh, we even have some of God's people that troubles me a little bit that are encouraging black brethren that, they are the black Jews. I'm going to prove something different to you today. I want to show you something about this because it's very troubling. So first of all, let's look at its earliest beginning. How did it begin? Where did it come from? What was the beginning of it all? Well, first of all, there was a gentleman by the name of Frank S. Cherry. He was a self-proclaimed prophet claiming that God appeared to him in a vision in 1886, he started a black Jew church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. His message was he preached that white people were inherently evil and hated by God. And I thought, wow, that is unbelievable. Then he said this. It's a little hilarious, but he proclaimed the earth was square. <laughs> now, now, brother, I want us to take that seriously, and I'll tell you why, because some of our brethren are falling for that as well. Uh, I've gone a few rounds with people about the earth being square, and I, and I told some individuals, I said, you know, you can look in the pages of the Bible and come to understand, uh, find things there that will help you understand that the earth is not square or flat. Uh, but some of God's people are falling victim to that. And brother, we need to be careful. Uh, because if you have a flat earth, I just don't think you can have a sunrise and a sunset. Because I can't figure out how the sun would rise over a flat earth and then go away unless it goes down and goes under and then comes back up, and then we all be dead. <laughs> so so we, I, I looked at that because that has been an issue as well. But he proclaimed that the earth was square and that Jesus would return in the year 2000 to install blacks over whites through a race war. Uh, Nineteen years later, you know, I'm, you, you see what I'm saying. See, we have to be careful what we look at. And then uh, other followers continued his message of hate while some broke off from his group, but they also continued the message of hate. There was another individual by the name of William, William Saunders Crody. He was also a self-proclaimed prophet. It all began for him on Tuesday, September 1892, and he believed the Lord God appeared to him in a vision. 
His proclaimed mission was to redeem Israel, only Israel, out of spiritual and mental bondage. Some of his groups adopted rites from both the Old and the New Testament. Their Old Testament observances included the use of the Jewish calendar, the celebration of the Passover, the circumcision of infant males, the commemoration of the Sabbath as on Saturday, and his New Testament rites include baptism, immersion, and foot washing. I found that very interesting. The mission statement was this. It said, Old, it's the oldest known black Hebrew organization, Church of the Living God, the pillar ground of truth for all nations. And basically that was the, the, the crux of the, uh, of their, their mission statement that they strive to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son. And then of course they use the word Holy Ghost and then teaching to observe all things. And they went on. The structure of the government within this organization is this way. The president general was Bishop Ivy Ann Hopkins. And I found that to be uh, definitely, totally contrary to the scriptures. And you can read 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33 through 35, and 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 14, because it's totally contrary to the scriptures. Now, there was one very noticeable thing all the groups seemed to have in common, whether they were racist, and I'm going to clarify that statement, whether they were peaceful or nationalists. The one thing they all had in common that I could find in looking at some of their uh, churches, their groups, where they met and all of that, where they only, uh, they, they only, you only find people of color among their, their worship services. I want to read from another article um, that I pulled over the Internet of some information that I found. This is an overview. It says, traditionally, many black Christians in the United States have spiritually identified with the ancient Israelites. In the late 19th century, some of them also began to claim that they were the biological descendants of the Israelites. This identification with the Israelites was a response to the social, sociopolitical re- realities of their situation in the United States, including slavery and racial discrimination. It says, for African Americans, appropriating Jewish history was part of a rebellion against the American racial hierarchy that deemed Africans inferior. It was also a means of fulfilling their desire to know their origins and regain their lost history. The beliefs and practices of black Hebrew groups, are, they vary considerably. Uh, some were black, considered themselves black Jews, and they adopted Jewish rituals. Some said they were black Hebrews who practiced more of the Judaism style. And then black Israelites, most of these were nationalists. Uh, they were very much hate groups. I think some of you may have seen what happened in Washington, I believe it was, the Covington incident, I think it, it was titled. Um, and um, those were those which show some of those individuals there. It goes on to bring out a few other things, but I want to, I want to look at something else. The history it says the origins of the Black Hebrew Israelite movements are found in Frank Cherry and William Saunders Crowley, who both claimed that they had revelations in which they believe that God told them that African Americans are descendants of the Hebrews in the Christian Bible. And I I, I, I constantly say this. It's kind of interesting how people like to promote themselves as some type of prophet. Uh, Mr. Cherry, I think it was, that said Christ would return in the year 2000. We, uh, 
know that that didn't happen. You know, there's a gentleman, I don't remember his name, just north of here in Greensboro, North Carolina, for the last 40, 50 years proclaiming when Christ would return, I think almost every five to ten years, and each time he's been wrong. And, and you, you know, people proclaim themselves to be a prophet. You know, that's one of the things I really appreciate about Mr. Herbert Armstrong. Uh, when he, be, before he began the church of God, Mr. Armstrong was challenged by his wife whether or not the Sabbath was the day of worship. I don't recall anyone ever mentioning that Mr. Armstrong said God showed him some powerful vision of a direction to take. He simply went out and he studied God's word and he sought understanding. It says the church of God and saints of Christ uh, originating in Kansas retain elements of a messianic connection to Jesus. Uh, then it talks about groups during the late 19, the late 19 and early 20th centuries. Dozens of black Hebrew organizations were established in Harlem alone. At least eight such groups were founded between 1919 and 1931. Um, the Church of, of the Living God, the pillar ground of truth for all nations, is the oldest black Hebrew group. And the Church of God and Saints of Christ is one of the largest black Hebrew organizations. The commandment keepers founded by Wentworth, Arthur, Matthew in New York are noted for their adherence, adherence to traditional Judaism. Uh, and then it says African, the African Hebrew Israelites of Jerusalem are widely known for having moved from the United States, primarily Chicago, to Israel in the late 20th century. So they're moving about. They're going back and forth to various places. Where, let me share with you now what the FBI did. Because some of these groups were uh, sort of what they call nationalists or racists. Here's what the FBI did. A 1999 FBI terrorism risk assessment reported that violent, uh, radical fringe members of the black Hebrew Israelite movement hold beliefs that bear a striking resemblance to the Christian identity theology practiced by many white Supremists. So I took the liberty, that's when I, I began to look at a lot of the uh, websites, listening to some of the messages, uh, and I saw the hate messages that were there. Uh, I watched one such video where uh, they were on the streets. It's, it's mostly, it looks like more of a street ministry, and they were on the streets and they were preaching and whatever they called themselves doing. And there were two white ladies that were there, and they were asking questions, and they literally took one of the ladies and just knocked them down. Now, how do you do such things in the name of God? I just don't, I just don't get it. Uh, but there was another thing that the FBI mentioned. It was this. It says the report also noted that the overwhelming majority of black Hebrew Israelites are unlikely to engage in violence and, and then I found, I, I did find that what the FBI talked about, I did look at various groups because I did this intentionally because, brother, I am concerned that some of our people in God's church, our brothers and sisters we love, have connected to this and some have walked away. And to take and use my name was not a very nice thing to do, claiming that I wasn't, as if I was hiding something uh, to black brothers. So, I said, well, since you said that, I'm going to look into it, and I hope you want to know what I have to say, because I, I'm not going to hold back. So all of these things that these groups are doing, um, 
I found this, that many of these groups proclaim a message that undermines the truth given to us in the Holy Scriptures, mainly when it came, uh, uh, when it came to people not of color. Let's go over to uh, Acts chapter 10. I, wanna, I want to show you something here. Acts chapter 10, notice what is written here, what, what Peter proclaims in verse 34. You know, uh, this is a chapter where Peter went out to the um, Cornelius' house, and he watched a miracle by God of individuals who received the Holy Spirit before baptism. And he recognized the power of God. And then in verse 34, Peter states, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. You know, brother, this is great news for the whole world. Not just for some particular individuals. And when we think about special promises from God, because, see, we have to lean on the promises of God. I want to draw our attention to uh, Matthew chapter 16 now. Because Christ made a promise of something that I think many don't take seriously. And I hope we do, and I believe we do as a church. I really do. Because it's vital that we have what Christ proclaimed. Matthew chapter 16. Let's start in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I... The son of man am one of the things I found out in in the study as well is because I kept asking myself, do they use the Holy Bible? Because for a while I I, I wouldn't see the Bible. Then I saw some groups that did have the Bible. Uh, Some would not say that Christ is the son of God, but some prophet. And yet you hold up the Holy Bible. And that is very troublesome for me. So he said, uh, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You know, he asked the question, and they said, some said Elijah, uh, Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. But he asked the question, who do you say that I am? And then Peter's response was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what was Jesus' response? Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know, brethren, we should be we should rejoice about that as well, because God has revealed his truth to us. And that's why we're here keeping the Sabbath, keeping God's holy days, obeying his commandments and laws. And then he says in verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You know, Dr. Meredith used to say all the time, somewhere on this earth, there is a true church of God that is proclaiming the message, the same message that Jesus Christ proclaimed. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind or loose, he would do that as well. And I think that is so important because to know that the church Jesus built will never cease to exist is crucial, brethren, to what we involve ourselves in, knowing we have been called by God. And that's what bothered me about this. Some come and say God called them and opened their minds only to walk away under the guise of something so deceptive. 
Mr. John O'Gwen in one of his Bible studies stated this about the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Quote, when Christ is talking about the keys of the kingdom, he is talking about the keys that unlock true knowledge. In other words, knowledge that Christ gives to his church to proclaim in the world as a witness and a warning. And, and, and that's the, the dilemma. Because many people, Christ told us that many would come in his name and proclaim a message But through that message, there would be a tremendous deception and confusion. And that's what we have today. You know, Matthew 24, verse 14, you don't have to turn there. Christ stated that the gospel of the kingdom of God will be preached where? To blacks only? To whites only? To Asians only? No. He says it will be preached uh, in all the world as a witness to all the nations. You know, it's very sad when we want to uh, put that kind of, uh, I call it garbage, on God. To, to, to say that God is somewhat prejudiced, that's basically what one would say. And it's just foolishness to do such a thing. He said to all the nations, look at Matthew 28. Let's go there because I, I want to emphasize something here about the mission that he gives to the church. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. How do we get around that statement? That we're to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God in the world as a witness to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And look at the promise at the end of that verse, verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Christ helps us to understand that regardless of what people say, his church will fulfill a mission. And he promised to be with us. And that promise of guiding his church to proclaim a message for all races and nations and peoples and languages and tongues, not for one people only. And I am concerned because I don't want to see any of God's people get caught up in any of these things. Flat earth, which is is one dumb idea. You know, uh, Hebrew names. How many of you can speak Hebrew just like I thought. <laughs> and neither can I. I mean, I can look and look at various words and maybe get them partially right. And I literally asked that gentleman, I said, so you're telling me you speak all Hebrew? He said, yeah. And I said, you speak all Hebrew? He said, yeah. And his wife says, no, he doesn't. <laughs> that was another moment. <laughs> I mean, you had your, your wife to, wow. <laughs> now, brother, what if all of these studies were wrong? What, what if all of this information that we looked at, because sometimes you do have to be careful about the sources, but what if they were all wrong? What if, what if I'm wrong about all that I looked at? Let me show you something in God's word that should help. Let's go over to Judges. And let's see exactly what God's word 
has to say about all of this. I know Judges was in here last night. There it is. Let's take a look at Judges, brethren, chapter 1. Because, well, let's read it first. Judges 1 and and verse 1. Now, after, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the eternal. Now, I want you to pay attention because the children of Israel, okay, are asking God a question, saying, who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will give like, I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanite and the Perizzites into their hand. And they killed 10,000 men at, and I guess it's Bezek or Bezek. And they found Adonai, Bezek and Bezek and fought against him and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. One vital piece of information about this uh, this ordeal about uh, what, that we have to remember when you talk about Canaan, who is the father of Cush, and Cush's name means black. Um, I want to read a little bit more. This is an article that was written long ago in our former former association, and I want you to understand this about this article. This was not the work of the church. This was the work that they went out and looked at that people did. Josephus was one of them and various people. And the reason I want, I'm just going to touch on it just a little because I'm going to comment about those verses there in just a moment. But he says, Cush first settled around ancient Babylon, you can Genesis 10. From Babylon, Cush spread far and wide. Most of the black children of Cush migrated across Central Arabia and around its southern coast to East Africa. He says, Cush also had sons who went east into Asia, rather into Africa. Herodias wrote, the Ethiopians from the sunrise were marshaled with the Indians and did not at all differ from them in appearance, but only in their language, and it even mentions the hair. Uh, it goes on and says, These Ethiopians from Asia were counted almost the same as the Indians of India. And this is written by Polemia, uh, Polemina, uh, Nia, I'll get it right here, section 20. He goes on to say, The brown people of southern India, and, uh, and I think this is pronounced Ceylon, are also descendants of Cush. Historians call them Dravidians. The ancients called them, and I think it's pronounced Sibay, Smith's Classical Dictionary. Their, their Bible name was Seba, S-E-B-A, Genesis 10. Josephus recognized an eastern and a western Cush, one in Asia, Asia, the other in Africa. Antiquities, Book 1, Volume uh, of Book 1, Verse uh, 4 and 2. Herodias called them Asiatic Ethiopians. Ethiopia in Ezekiel 38.5 should be translated Cush. It refers primarily to the Asiatic Cush, which is in India today. Then it talks about Ham and had another son, Put. And Josephus wrote this. Put was also was the founder of Libya, meaning Africa, and called uh, the inhabit- inhabitants Putites from himself. There's also a river in the country uh, that the Moors, which bears the name, which is in that 
the Grecian historiographers mentioned Africa. Put then is the father of the Central Africans, and the Egyptians called the region of the Sudan Pet, P-E-T. I'm not sure if if it's some other pronunciation of it. The Babylonians and Persians called a similar region Putu. And this is Smith's Bible Dictionary and the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. The author who provides the most information on the development of black peoples in Africa is Herbert Richard Palmer. He wrote the rare volume, The Bornu, Sahara, and Sudan, and the more readily available Sudanese memoirs. His works provided translation from Arabic into English. In India, the highest castes were not only called Brahamians, but also, and it is pronounced Ret Radputs, means king or chief of put. And what I'm showing here is the different places the people went. And I won't go on any more in that because one of the things I want to, I wanted the reason I wanted to read here in Judges, if you would notice, brethren, that Israel is fighting the Canaanites. So how could we take and say that these are the same when they're not? You can't declare that. You can't declare that at all. They were fighting against him. Let's go over to Judges chapter 2 now and notice what else is stated here. Then the angel of the Lord came from Gilgal to uh, Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out uh, to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? So God had instructed them when they go into the land, they were to destroy it. Not because God hated the people, but because the paganism there was so horrible. Can you imagine? And which is no doubt what God was trying to get them to understand. Can you imagine throwing little innocent children? I see you, you guys have a lot of children around. Throwing them into a fire to burn them to some pathetic God that can do nothing. And history shows that what they would do when they would cast those children in the fire, the drummers would beat the drums very loud so that people couldn't hear them screaming and yelling. So God instructed Israel, don't go in and connect with these people and their religious ways. Did Israel listen? We know the story. Absolutely not. Verse 3, therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Why? Because they refused to obey God. Israel refused to obey God, so he punished them in various ways. And if you were to look at chapter 3, I won't take the time to read all of it, because I want to show something totally different that will totally annihilate all of this. But you can read chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'll leave that for you. But also note uh, chapter 1, verses 27 through 33, because what happens there is you see each of the tribes of Israel fighting against the Canaanites. So how can we tie the two and say a certain group of people, in this case the Canaanites, were descendants of Israel, where they were the rightful Israelites, when you, when you see what's happening here. I don't know how you can justify that, but that is what is happening 
in our society. And one of the things I want us to understand, brother, this, this is serious because some of the studies show that the, the black Hebrewism, uh, the black Jews and black, black Israelites, this movement is spreading and it's gaining ground. There are tons of people, thousands and thousands, uh, that are falling for this. And one of the things also I saw in the study uh, that really troubled me was uh, I saw some posts of some of the women whose men apparently were involved in it. And, man, they were in turmoil. And they were talking about how their, their husbands, when they would have a meeting like this, the ladies had to go to some room. And they had a special name for it. Uh, but the ladies couldn't sit with the men. And then there were a few ladies that said, don't get involved in this. Their lives were becoming miserable because the husbands were becoming violent. And that's a horrible thing. And you really think you serve a wonderful, loving God who sacrificed his son in something like that? Absolutely not. This is not of God in any way. So many today do claim their heritage as direct descendants of ancient Israel, but they're not understanding that it will, you can claim to be a direct descendant all you want. I'm going to show you what God's word has to say about that. Because you're not going to find favor in God's sight spiritually and automatically enter God's kingdom because you have direct blood. It doesn't work that way, brother. Now, I want to make this very clear. Prophetically, brother, it is vital for us to know who the descendants of Israel really are. Prophetically. We have to know. Uh, let's go over to Genesis. And look at uh, something that is written here, Genesis 22. Because here is one of the things that was stated in their doctrine, that, that Ephraim is the Puerto Ricans and Manasseh the Cubans. Uh, and, but to settle this issue, brother, we have to look at God's word. That's where you go for answers. Because what if some of this information out there is wrong? The movement is real. It's very real. You can see it on the television. Let's just notice just a few verses here. Genesis 22, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And what's happening here is God is confirming Abraham's faith when he offered his son. You know, that's a tremendous display of, of character and obedience to God. And that's where the whole world is failing. You know, I ask the question quite often, what is one of the greatest lessons the Feast of Tabernacles Uh, The Feast of Tabernacles offer. What is one of the greatest lessons? It's found in Deuteronomy 14, 22 and 23. That we come and go to the place where God places his name. We save our tithes and we go before him to worship him. What reason? To learn to fear God. To have a deep awe and respect for the incredible family of God who's making it possible for many people to come into his family. Verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you obeyed my voice. Could we see that with some of these peoples that they proclaim are descendants? That's Abraham and Isaac. Let's look at 
Jacob now. Let's go over to Genesis 27. I'm just showing you things that we have to pay attention to. Genesis 27. I'll give you verses 27 um, through 29. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and bless be those who bless you. What nations have we seen that could possibly fulfill any of this. Let's go over to Genesis 48 now. Now we get to Jacob and Joseph and his sons. But chapter 48, where we see Jacob blesses Joseph's sons. Verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed your father is sick, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so he goes to Jacob, Verse 3, this, then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you and as an everlasting possession. And then he, uh, he said his two sons are his. All right, let's jump over to verse 9 where he states, And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Verse 14. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph. I want you to think about that, just that statement. He blessed Joseph. Because in verse 16, what does it say? Bless the lads. So he had taken on his sons as his. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And brethren, those peoples that they proclaimed, I ask, in what time in history have we ever seen these groups possess these blessings that the Bible gives, not, not one time in human history. And these groups also state that all people of color are the original tribes of Israel and that the Negroes are the tribe of Judah without any proof from the word of God. I showed you what judges say. Who was the first to go up and fight the Canaanites? Judah. How could we make such a claim? Can't do it. Not according to the scriptures. Not according to the scriptures at all. Judah was the first to fight against the Canaanites. Now let's notice what God's word proclaims in reference to one being a Jew, more so on a spiritual level. Remembering, brethren, that one individual stated it didn't really matter. I I ask why bring it up if it doesn't matter. It tells me it does matter. And and I'll tell you what, I think it matters to God. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Because now I want to show you scriptures that I think really should help all of us. Because what people don't understand who are confused religiously is that the plan of God is for all mankind. But notice what Paul writes. I've been talking a little bit about circumcision here, and I I want to just go right ahead to verse 28. Romans 2 and verse 28, he says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. 
nor circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the latter, whose praise is not from men but from God. Brother, what God is doing, he's trying to clean up our minds and our hearts to help us think more like him, to help us believe that he is going to return. He's going to send his son, and he's going to, he's going to fix the problems of the nations. Because there are some serious problems in this world. And people are hurting all over the world. And so people are fussing and fighting over who are direct descendants of, of Jews and, and Israel. And spiritually, brother, what, what's, what's the benefit? What, what, what are you going to prosper? Look at uh, Deuteronomy 10. Let's go there. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Because God's word shows us. We don't have to argue over who's who and what's what. We need to learn to obey God and develop the mind of God. When we look at the mind of God, the the mind that Christ had while he was on earth. It's amazing what he did and how much he blessed So many people. He was so compassionate and loving. God wants to change our minds to think like that. To love one another, regardless of your race. Race doesn't matter in the sight of God. Notice what he tells us in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. He says, and now Israel. And and you know what I did in my Bible? I wrote my name above that. So put your name above it. And now, Anthony, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear, there it is, to fear God, to fear God with all your heart. To have that deep reverence, respect, and awe for him. It's amazing how human beings love to try to tell God what's right and wrong. Have we not failed miserably? You know one of the dangers, brethren, of of going online and looking at all of this stuff? One of the dangers of it is this. This is a major danger. Too many of us look at this stuff. We're listening to unconverted people who have no knowledge of God's way of life. And I ask why. I really do. I ask why. You know, I remember long ago I had someone to send me information from other areas, other churches or whatever it was. And I started reading and I thought, you know, I don't know if I'm spiritually strong enough to handle this. Because I came to find out later there, were, there, was, there was a lot of error in it. Brother, we have to be careful what we read. We play around on the Internet. It's just a source that Satan uses to defile the mind of God's people as well. Don't think Satan can't get to us. Because if we play around with, and I call them other gods and other doctrines and teachings, you're putting yourself at risk. If Satan was able, or Lucifer was able to <clears throat> convince <clears throat> perhaps billions of angels to follow him, <clears throat> excuse me, how much of an effect could he have on those who may be spiritually weak and not studying carefully 
not studying strongly. So he says that um, that you will learn to to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good, for your benefit. This is what we should be doing. Verse 16. Therefore, circumcise the skin of the foreskin of your heart. In other words, brother, we need to remove all of the junk the old man possessed. We have to get rid of it. We have to weed out all the wrong that our minds have had for so long. And we have to be extremely careful about listening to unconverted people. I am going to make sure that I mention that constantly. It's a shame that we listen to unconverted people over the Internet. I, I called it the Bible net. Look at what I found on the Internet. Really? Is it a new truth? There's nothing new under the sun. I think God would give his church a deeper understanding of his truth. But these self-proclaimed prophets who start organizations like this. And you know, one of the things that really disturbs me about these groups, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. worked tirelessly and gave his life so that that one day would come where he said a little black boy and a little black girl and a little white boy and a little white girl will walk down the streets together. These groups to me are undermining that which he did. And I take that as an offense. There are some that have said, well, uh, God's church um, prejudice. We have some that are prejudiced. And I asked an individual once, I said, well, you think, do you think there are prejudiced people on your job? I said, yes. I said, are you going to quit your job? I said, no. And I said, well, why would you quit God? Why would you walk away from the most incredible information and truth you'll ever know? Verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. How can we teach that God will send Christ, will send Christ back to this earth to destroy certain individuals or certain peoples of different races? That is a horrible thing to do, to totally disrespect God in that manner. He administers justice for the fatherless, fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, he's telling us as well, Israel, then us today, love the stranger. He said, you are strangers in the land of Egypt. At one time or another, all of us were separated from God. And he opened our minds. And we said the same thing, Lord, all that you have commanded, I will do. We made a covenant with God. How can we so easily allow individuals who do not have the spirit of God to convince us to walk away? I, I, I find that very difficult. Romans 9. Let's go to Romans 9. Again, we have to know the physical descendants or the descendants of ancient Israel prophetically. There's a reason we need to know we can watch and notice what's happening in those nations. But putting such emphasis on it as if we're going to gain some advantage 
over others because we're direct descendants is foolishness. Romans 9, Paul says in verse 1, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. So there's a distinction here. But let's continue. Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God, a man. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are Israel. Nor are, are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. You want to talk about special benefits? I don't think that's what Paul is trying to tell us here. He says, but in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Brother, I, I encourage us to read this entire chapter and just review it. But the children of the promise are counted as seed. And Paul goes a little bit further, Galatians 3. Let's go there. <clears throat> Galatians 3. What I'm trying to say is we have to look at things spiritually because we're not going to gain some kind of favor to be in God's kingdom because we're direct descendants. What happens to repentance and obedience? I don't think we're going to gain favor. Galatians 3 verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? I think we know the answer to that question. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's our faith like in God? Just as Abraham believed God and it was and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So we can we can do all we want to. Proclaiming we're, we're descendants and that gives us. Uh, favoring God's sight. It doesn't. We have to know. But that's not what's going to allow us to enter into God's kingdom. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to, um, to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all nations shall be blessed. See, that refutes everything these groups teach. And we have to take that to heart, brethren. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And brother, that's you and I here today and God's people around the world. We're being blessed because we're of the faith of Abraham. We're preparing for the kingdom of God. We're preparing to be in God's family for all eternity. We're preparing to help all nations and tongues and peoples. 
And it's sad that we have people that will tend to make God as if he's partial or prejudiced. And that's a very sad thing. The title for this sermon, brother, I gave is this, the valuable truth from God's word. Because that's where we have to turn. You can go on the Internet every single day of the week if you want to. I don't suggest it. But you're not going to find valuable truth from unconverted people. God set his church in such a manner that the leadership of God's church are instructed to take care of his people, to feed them, to tend his people. And that's what we have to do. We have to be ever careful about this. Let's notice some warnings now. Second John, let's look at some warnings that the Bible gives. When we think about all of this ridiculous doctrines that are out there, fables and all of these things that keep coming up. And like I said, I took this issue seriously because, you know, um, if we have brethren that, brethren that are falling away, we should care. I want to tell you about an example uh, that was given to us years ago. I won't say the minister's name or the location, but there was an in, uh, a situation where one of the brethren appeared to be falling away. And the minister said the, what the brethren did, and I'm not sure if the individual knew this, that the brethren recognized it. And they all got together and they fasted for that individual. And that individual was restored. That's the love that God is placing in our hearts. And that's the kind of love we need to express and show for one another. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should learn to love each other in a very special way. But notice these warnings that we were given Second John, verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. And I read to you that some of the groups say that he was not the Son of God, that he was a prophet. And yet they held the Bible up in their hand, proclaiming to be of God, denying the Son of God. And that is so evil. He says, this is a deceiver and antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. You know, brother, we've started this race. And only those who finish the race will get the crown. You know, Jesus said, let no one take your crown. Why would we let unconverted people draw us away? With these foolish doctrines, this Hebrew names thing. You've got to speak the Hebrew. And literally when I talked to that individual at that particular moment, his comments were as if he was more righteous than we were because he spoke that. Whereas his wife said he didn't really speak all Hebrew, so <laughs> had a little flaw. He's not going to be blessed because he thinks he can speak Hebrew. You're not going to be blessed because you think the earth is flat. And you're not going to gain advantage because you may be a direct descendant of ancient Israel. 
And God warns us of these kinds of things. Verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. And that's what I say about all of these groups. They do not have God. I'm not afraid to say that. Because if you are one who teaches hate, if you are one who hate individuals because of the color of their skin, something's wrong. And we have to repent of that. America has been a tough country. But God has blessed this nation for reasons the Bible shows. And we have to understand that and appreciate it. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Brother, when you go out on the Internet and you entertain your mind with these pathetic things, you're, you're, you're greeting someone. You're allowing them into your home. And we aren't to be ashamed of ourselves for doing that. We have to put this stuff away. It means nothing. Second Timothy chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 4. Second Timothy 4. Just looking at what Paul talked about. Warnings that we need to take and heed to, brethren. Because one of the things we have to remember, as we get closer to the end of the age, Satan is going to get worse and worse and more aggressive against God's church. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul talking to Timothy, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Those days are real today, brethren, because some are not enduring sound doctrine. Some are turning away to other things, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. This same warning should go to us as well. Verse 5, be watchful in all things. And he says, endure the afflictions. And you tell Timothy, of course, to do the work of an evangelist and fulfill the ministry. And we have to take heed to these words, brethren. Because this is real. And then to put the icing on the cake, notice something else Paul says. First Timothy chapter 1. Because now he, he kind of lays it out for us. First Timothy chapter uh, 1. <clears throat> I'll give you verses 3 and 4. As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. You know, sometimes in TWPs or, or, or sometimes we've had brethren get a little confused. They would get confused about various things. And, and when, we're, when I'm not in the congregation, I tell the, the brethren, I say, you know, you have to protect the brethren. If someone brings up something that's not right, that we're not teaching, that's contrary to God's word, stop it. And tell them they need to talk to the ministry. We should do that, brother, if you happen to hear that. I'm not saying get in some type of argument with people. We have to protect the flock. We have to look out for God's people, verse 4. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. 
which can dispute, uh, which cause dispute rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. That's what happens when people bring in all these types of things. It just causes problems. We have to put a stop to it. Jesus said, tend my sheep. Take care of the people of God. Look at Isaiah 59. I didn't have this down, but let's jump over to Isaiah 59 for a verse here. Two verses. Isaiah 59. Because these are warnings that we have to take to heart. Things are happening, brother. We're in the last days. And Satan hates God's people. He hates you and I. He wants to destroy God's church. He's tried over and over and over. But Christ made a promise that he would be with us to the end of the age. Isaiah 59 verse 14, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is falling in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Brethren, when we make the decision that we're going to follow, follow God's way of life, it's almost as if we put a target, not on the back only, but in the front. Satan will try to stop you. And it's amazing the things that keep coming up over and over. The black Israelism issue has come up from time to time. And it saddens me to see people get Stumped to the point they fall away from that. Same thing with the Hebrew uh, names issue. That comes up from time to time. I'm very concerned about the black Israelism issue because I've seen several people leave from various congregations. I talked to some during the feast and found out the same thing. And I wanted to look into it because my name was brought into it and I didn't appreciate that. So I'm telling you, I, I, I don't have a problem with saying that these doctrines are demonic. They're evil. They're not of God. And I despise the fact that people want to make God some monster that's going to come down and destroy individuals because they're of a different race. That is the most ignorant and pathetic thing I've ever heard. And any of us, brethren, I hope we're not getting caught up in this. Any of these issues that may come up, go to your minister. Talk with them. Get the help we need. Counsel. Don't allow Satan to do this to you. Because the moment you make that, you made that decision to follow God's way, you became a prey to the evil one. And Paul also puts uh, an end to the foolishness of uh, being so consumed about who the children of Israel are. Let's go to Galatians 3 and notice something here. Galatians chapter 3. And it's so so beautiful that you can respond to these, you can respond to these things from God's word. Galatians 3, look at verses 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Not one of us is better or different from the other. We're all children of God. God. God called each one of us. And if we are responding, we must stay connected to God. Stick to the trunk of the tree. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Not some other religion. Not some other teaching. Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? We're all one. I don't care what race you are. Are we willing to obey God? Are we willing to walk with him? Are we willing to divorce the world that keeps trying to pull people back? God's people, don't think for one moment Satan is not watching you. Don't think for one moment Satan doesn't know you. He knows you. He knows you very well. Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. You know, I think I can stand here and say, hey, I'm of the seed of Abraham. If I'm of faith. Yes, there are physical descendants. And we are all going to see all of that take place. But right now, we are also heirs according to the promise. Man, can you imagine spending eternity with God? Do you think about that? You ever stop and think about that and just praise God and say, thank you very much for opening my mind to your truth? That is an amazing thing to know, brother, that God has called us and given us the most incredible hope you'll ever have. And to let someone whose mind is twisted convince us of anything different is not good. And it can be very damaging. Understanding the mind of God is crucial to put to rest any false concepts of what Christ will do at his return. And to portray him as some evil being who will destroy certain peoples at his return because of race or any other foolish reasoning, that's a great insult to God. It is an insult to the God family. First Timothy 2. And we're going to come to a close in a moment. First Timothy 2. First Timothy 2. What is it that God is trying to do? How is God looking at all mankind? First Timothy 2, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for whom? Blacks, whites, Hispanic, Asians. He said for all men. That is what we should be doing for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires what? All men, everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm going to quickly turn to Isaiah 56. You can just write it down. I'll give you verses one through eight. And, and maybe I'll conclude here. Uh, let me see what time I have here. Just a couple, few more minutes here. Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 8. You can write it down. Keep justice. Thus says the eternal, keep justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come. And my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this. And the son of man who lays hold on it. Who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. And keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, speaks saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Now let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. What he's trying to tell us is God, God's eyes is on everyone. His plan for salvation will 
be for everyone. He's working out a special plan. And brethren, we're preparing for that. We're preparing for it. And no one's going to be left out. For thus, thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house. And within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the eternal to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says others beside those who are gathered to him. God has an amazing plan. He's, he's concerned with all peoples everywhere. He's not coming to wipe out one people. And I'll conclude with Matthew chapter 3, because I think this is a good verse to conclude with. Matthew chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Matthew 3, verses 4 through 9. This is when John the Baptist was out in the wilderness uh, baptizing his food, and he was clothed with camel's hair, and his food was uh, locusts and wild honey. And then he says in verse 7, we notice all Jerusalem, and they're all coming out to be baptized. In verse 7, he says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Look at verse 9, brethren. He says, and do not think. To say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. How valuable is the descendantship when it comes to being in God's family? I rest my case. God has an amazing plan, brethren. Because he so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he didn't send him to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Anything taught, brethren, against God's valuable truth is a lie and is of the devil. Therefore, brethren, let us pray for one another. We need to be praying for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ to ask God to help protect the mind of his people.